Good evening. It is a privilege to worship King Jesus with you together this evening. I begin with a rather safe admission that I have never watched The Chosen or any of its iterations. During all of the seasons it's been on, I've been encouraged to binge watch it. I've been encouraged to do a lot of different things and see it and catch up with what many of you guys already know, but I I have not. Until a couple of weeks ago, uh, some friends from here invited us to go to the theater and watch the movie The Chosen, the Christmas movie. And before the movie, the uh, writer-producer of, of The Chosen, he, he introduced on the screen what we were about to see. He gave a, a preview, so to speak, of, of what we would experience. And at one point he said, and you will cry. He's right. I did. I cried at the birth scene. That got me. When Mary gave birth to this brand new baby and she, with this rapturous, joyous look, lifted up this brand new baby and dangling from the baby was an umbilical cord. I thought, that's powerful. That's sustenance. That is the life of the mother giving sustenance to the one who created her. And that thought was so overwhelming. It was like a riptide that just sucked me out into an ocean of thoughts. And my mind is paging through the scriptures thinking of this incredible juxtaposition of humanity and deity in the Son of God become the Son of Man for our good and the glory of God that you and I can be restored to the Father. I had zillion thoughts about what I was watching. I, for the sake of time, have focused on three of the responses I had when I saw the birth scene of the baby Jesus. First, response, he is too wonderful for words. You look at the umbilical cord and you think of John 1 and you think of Colossians 1 and you think of a bunch of other passages. But I settled on Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, that says God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken. Has spoken to us in His Son whom he appointed the heir of all things. Get this. Through him who made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds or sustains. He sustains all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The babe in the manger is the Son of God who spoke life into existence. The Creator of all things. He sustains the creation that He spoke. The Son of God became a speck of dust like us. He became a part of His creation. He was safely nestled in the womb of His mother. Both of my grandmothers lost babies at birth or shortly after birth. My one grandmother lost a baby at the age of 10 days. 
She never named the baby. She lived to be 100. She regretted it, not naming the baby, until the day she died. She visited the grave, and there's a tombstone. It simply says, the Jackson baby. A mother's womb is not always safe. Mary's womb nurtured and nourished the Son of God. He is born. He is robust. He is healthy. Last summer, found Nancy and me in Central Oregon away from the light of men. Late at night, looking for the Perseid meteor shower. Watching lights shoot across the sky as meteors entered our upper atmosphere. We were in lawn chairs. I started trying to imagine what is there beyond what we can see and how far does it go. And our minds can only reach toward infinity so often to get a sense of the majesty and the grandeur and how small we are in comparison to what He has created. So the one who created what we can see and beyond, that one became a babe just like us. A couple of our grandkids... A couple of years ago, they discovered they had belly buttons. They became fascinated with their belly buttons. And then they discovered all of us have belly buttons. And so at the dinner table, they want to see belly buttons. And I try to figure out how I can politely say, no, I don't want to show belly buttons. But it's remarkable. Jesus had a belly button to which was attached the umbilical cord that gave the sustainer of all things sustenance. He is too wonderful for words. He is God disclosed to us so that God reveals who He is in and through His Son so that you and I now have a vocabulary for God. He is God who is Word. And it is only this Jesus, this babe, defined by God, disclosed by God, that is the true God of the Bible. I was packaging boxing books these last months. And I got to a shelf of books written by J.I. Packer, the great thinker and theologian who died a couple of years ago. And I thought, I I can't give these away. These are too valuable. And I began to thumb through them and just kind of rethink his words and his thoughts. And I stumbled across this quote that essentially says, God discloses who he is. And if we limit Jesus, if we limit God to who we think or imagine who He is, apart from what God says, we're not worshiping the God of the Bible. God discloses who He is through His Word, through His Son, J.I. Packer, a God whom we could understand exhaustively. Key phrase. You think we know all there is to know about this Jesus or this God of the Bible? We don't know all there is to know. The God whom we could understand exhaustively and whose revelation of himself confronted us with no mysteries whatsoever because there is mystery to what we don't know about Jesus. He is a lot more than you and I know. 
would be a God in man's image and therefore an imaginary God, not the God of the Bible at all. There is mystery in the Bible as to just how great and good is Jesus Christ. You see that as the Bible unfolds. You see the Apostle John, who was really tight with Jesus, who described himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he continually discovered more about Jesus. The Sea of Galilee, the resurrection. He's in a boat. They're fishing Again, they catch more fish than they can count. Jesus is waiting on the beach with a fire. And John discovers more about Jesus. And he writes about the engagement of Jesus. Later, he would see Jesus ascend. But he learned and discovered so much more because there was an experience that he had never had with Jesus until he writes Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, when he sees the glorified Jesus, and that blows him up. The glorified Jesus was too much. And John does what all do when they see the glory of God revealed to us. Is he fell on his face in terror and fear. And Jesus does what he does for every believer who knows by faith this crucified, risen Jesus of the Bible. He reaches down and he touches John. And he says, stand up. Standing up is the rightful posture of every follower of Jesus Christ. We stand before Him, not because of us, but because of His love and His kindness and His grace. You and I, through faith in Jesus, we're secure in Him. So when you and I say yes to this Jesus, the Jesus who created us became like His creation, so that in Him we can become like Him. And that's His new creation. That's what he had envisioned for us in the first place. So first, this Jesus is too wonderful for words. He can be summed up with one word, and that is word. God's disclosure of who he is through his son. Second response of this baby Jesus when he was born, he was born with a target on his back. At his birth, evil awaited. Assassins raised their heads. Satan looked for an opportunity. Throughout the life of Jesus, Satan's uh, actions would pendular between two extremes. On the one extreme, he would cajole and appeal and whisper and tempt. He would try to reduce the consequences of sin and appeal to the appetites of Jesus when he was in the wilderness. But there is another way that Satan attacked Jesus, and that is with a genocidal mania. And that's what we see at the birth of Jesus. Jesus is born, and then we have months, perhaps longer, later the Magi come from the east. And if we read Matthew 2, we find out that they are looking for the king of the Jews. So they go to the king of the Jews. They go to one of the most wicked of the men of his day, King Herod the Great, who reigned as king in Judea. And these men who are called wise men do something that, from my vantage, doesn't look very wise. If they had known anything about not just the character of Herod and the paranoia of kings of that day and what they did to eliminate all threats to their throne, they wouldn't have gone to Herod. They did. And they asked. They knew the vicinity. Where is the king of the Jews? Herod 
wants to know that as well. He gathers the scholars and the experts in the Old Testament. They identify Bethlehem. Herod throws out bait. He sends the Magi to Bethlehem and says, Find him. Come back. Tell me where he is. I'll worship him too. Lie. They find him. They worship the babe. The king of the Jews. God the Father intervenes. He warns the Magi, don't go back to Herod. Don't tell him. They don't. They leave. It infuriates Herod. He summons his soldiers. He sends them on a mission. And again the Father intervenes. Father? To Father. God the Father. To Joseph. Earthly Father. To whom God the Father entrusted the care and development of his son. He warns Joseph, go, run, take the babe, go to Egypt. Joseph always acts in obedience and response to the command of the father. Instantly, there's no arguing, there's no delay. He goes, he takes the baby to safety in Egypt. When King Herod dies, he brings him back into Nazareth. But what does Herod do before he dies? Is he sends a contingent to Bethlehem and it's genocidal mania. The soldiers kill every baby boy, every infant in Bethlehem under the age of two. Satan's attempts to destroy Jesus range from temptation with a kiss by Judas, a former should-be friend who betrayed him with a kiss, to trying to kill Jesus. John 8 The religious leaders who should have welcomed Jesus try to kill Jesus. It's not his time. John 10. They pick up stones. They try to kill Jesus. It's not his time. John 11. He raises Lazarus from the dead. John 12. The religious elite know now we're in trouble because now he's performed this miracle and the whole world is going to worship him. They want to kill Jesus and they want to do away with the evidence of a resurrected Lazarus. So John 12, they want to kill Lazarus as well. That's how Satan rolls. So you go from the surreptitious, syrupy temptation of the evil one. Don't worry, this is not bad. You're not going to suffer consequences. Do it, it's fine to genocidal craziness that you and I can hear and watch on television and the news and you know this is of the evil one himself in attacking humanity that is made in God's image. So Hayton, or so King Herod, he tries to kill this baby Jesus and so we have a quote from the Old Testament in Matthew 2.18, a voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentations Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. It's heart-wrenching. It's diabolical. It's satanic. Jesus escapes and he survives and flourishes to live another day and to live the life that he will for all eternity. But the time would come when Jesus would die He would die on purpose. He would die the death we deserve to die. He would be raised to life. This baby, too wonderful for words, this baby was born with a target on his back. And this baby 
He was on mission for God the Father. Jesus says, creator of life who sustains life, and he came to rescue the world that died because of our rebellion against God, because of our willful sin and the sin that you and I inherit and are born with. He came to rescue the world that died. The baby who cried at his birth came to rescue the world. That is too wonderful for words. The birth of Jesus Christ announces God's mission fulfilled here on earth. That's why the angels announced in Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom He is pleased. That's why. That's why John 1, in the prologue, verses 9 through 12, identified Jesus as light, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came unto his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he delivered, who believed in his name, he became, they got the right to become children of God. That's why Jesus came. He is Son of God. He is child of God, and his mission was to reconcile us through his death and resurrection so that you and I can be reunited with our heavenly Father and that you and I can fulfill the vision that he had for us in the first place. So that when you and I say yes to Jesus Christ, when we say yes to the Spirit of God who dwells within the follower of Jesus Christ, God does this new creation work in us. And that begins, we begin to look increasingly like the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So that you and I, as we say yes to God, you and I can experience the fruit of God's new creation, love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's the light of life that you and I, through Jesus Christ, we have. We have the light of life. Of Jesus Christ. So that the light of Jesus Christ, as we possess His light, now we can reflect that truth and that light and that life in a very dark world. So that the follower of Jesus is to be a light that reflects the light of Jesus. So together, let's let our light shine for Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, If you've never confessed your faith in Him, if you've never confessed that you have sinned and that you need a Savior repenting of your sin, tonight is the night to confess your faith in this Jesus so that you can experience His light and His new creation transformation in who you are, forgiveness of sin and salvation so that you are again, you are finally home and right with your Heavenly Father. So let's let our light shine for Him. 
in a moment, we're going to light candles. And when we light those candles, the worship team is going to come down. They're going to light your candle. And then we're going to wait till everyone's candle is alight. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing Silent Night. And I invite you when we stand to raise your light on high so that others can see it. And pray that today and tomorrow and the weeks and months and years to come, that others will see the light of this Jesus in us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that through your Son we can call you Father. Thank you that we are your daughters, your sons, that we are secure in you, not because of us, but because of your Son Jesus, because of the life he gave, because of his resurrection life that he shares with those who know and love him. Thank you that we are your children, that you are entirely trustworthy, that you are good and you're kind and you're patient and you're compassionate and that your love will pursue us all the days of our life. Thank you for pursuing us. Help us to turn to you in confidence in you that the light of Jesus may shine in and through us. In the name of Jesus, amen.